The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You are listening to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I am Anthony Kazenza. Happy to have you with us, whether you are joining us live or you're catching the show after the fact. We are still coming at you all through the offseason, bringing you Bengals coverage, talking about all things Cincinnati Bengals. I mentioned earlier, I'm Anthony Kazenza, and I'm joined by John Sheeran, the the hero of last Friday, who carried the show on his back for almost an hour by himself. John, uh, you still you still tired from that listener questions uh, marathon you did the other day? My throat is a little bit. I think it's like the one detraction that we get is that we don't really get to take breaks when we do this live. So I realized like forty minutes in, like I hadn't like had a drink of water at all, and my throat just gets dried in general. But you know, it, it was it was it was a nice change of pace. I know that you've had to do that a ton of times before, but you know, it, it, was, it was it was fun to do. Never really an hour by myself, uh, unless I'm talking to the walls. Which I honestly didn't mean to do it an hour though. It was just like I it was at 55 minutes and realized, holy crap, I've been talking for a long time. Well, you you did well, and I appreciate it. Unfortunately, I had some stuff come up at the very last minute, and I appreciate you stepping in and. Uh, Going solo with that. The folks have spoken. They want me out. They want you doing doing solo solo shows. That's so. false rumors right there. That's just not going to happen. And it's so, not even in my contract to go solo. Yeah, yeah. But I uh, I appreciate you you covering for me, and you did excellent covering a lot of different questions, a lot of different topics. If you have not had the chance yet, please go download that among many other different shows. On the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel, the listener questions was the latest from the Orange and Black Insider that John covered. We also have a recent interview from uh, DNH Sports uh, with David Fulcher. Really cool deal there. Um, Matt Minnick recently spoke with Dan Horde. He's also been putting up some more film review on our YouTube channel. So get the show, whether it's ours or others within the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network. On the audio side, you can get it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone iHeartRadio, and then also our stuff, video and audio, is on our YouTube channel and on CincyJungle.com. I mentioned on last week's show, there is an icon. It might be, I don't know which side it's on yet. I got to get well-versed, but there's a little icon there. You click that, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. No excuses. Get the content, get notified when we go live, 
get notified when new content is available so you can get that. Tonight, we have a lot on, on tap, kind of talking a little bit of a hypothetical situation as it pertains to the MLB and their current situation because of the COVID crisis. And then we'll talk about uh, some other uh, issues with that, some other, you know, kind of landscape, what what the NFL is currently dealing with. And then, of course, we've got more from the 9 for 9 positional series. We're covering wide receivers this week, the segment that is the brainchild of John Sheeran. So uh, we are going to get rolling here. Yeah, Anthony, it's been, I don't know, a little under three months since this whole pandemic thing kind of swept the America, at least by storm. We haven't really talked about it a lot in terms of, we've gotten a lot of questions about, you know, how's the NFL season going to be impacted? And uh, the answer has been the same time for us because we just don't know. No one really knows about anything about this situation, but this past week we started to get some clarity, at least from other sports about what's, what's like the next step. I think the NHL announced there's going to be like a 24 team type of format with like some playing games and the playoffs are just going to start. There's talks heating up about the NBA being sequestered all, all in Orlando with, with like family members only. So it, it, we're starting to see some increased hope in sports, ma- the major sports returning. Cause we've already had like U- UFC kind of come back in a limited capacity with the NFL. I think uh, yesterday or maybe even today, the NFL PA director, Demore Smith, the president uh, gave an estimate like a like a six or a seven out of ten that the NFL will start on time, and I guess that's what was labeled as relative re- relatively optimistic compared to what what else has been going on. So things are looking good for the most part. Baseball and the MLB, however, is is not looking too promising, and I think uh, insiders say that they have until I think the first week of June to figure something out in order for the season for this eighty two game season that they're proposing to start on time. And obviously, one of the biggest drawbacks, the whole, you know, the, the the impasses that they're dealing with right now, is is the salary cuts. Is you know how are, are teams going to manage to pay players what they feel like they can without having all the TV revenue from from a full season? And you know, it's unfortunate because they don't have the MLB doesn't have the luxury of, of those TV contracts the NFL does, so they're not going to be able to survive. You know, with, with games being played without fans in the stands, they're going to have to cut cut salaries. And that's honestly like I'm looking at the the, the 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 proposals for the salary cuts based on how much a player makes. Like a player who's projected to make 20 million for this year is only projected to make five million under this proposal. Players who make 10 million, a little under three million. And I know Trevor Bauer, who's a pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds, has been very outspoken about this. And for the most part, he's gotten a lot of support from the fan base. But obviously, there's always people who are just basically saying, "Shut up." play you're an athlete you're, you're, you're nothing special you're nothing more special than me you're already getting paid millions of dollars just go ahead and do it because you can you're not the one being unemployed all the other stuff that we kind of see from time to time so as people who cover football and just generally football fans we don't have a situation like that yet but it's not completely out of the question so i just wanted to ask this question really to our listeners and i guess to you anthony as well since you're here what would how, what would your reaction be what would your mindset be if you heard that NFL salary NFL players salaries are going to get cut based off of a short season would you be more for the players in terms of holding out for as most money as, as they can get 
or more towards the organization just, just for the sake of getting as much football as possible. This is such dangerous territory, I guess, in terms of picking a side here because – I mean, on one hand, I understand you're you're working less. So why should you still be paid when you're working significantly less in terms of at least an ownership, a business owner, a business standpoint? You look at it from that. And I, I think most people from a, you know, if you approach it pragmatically, I think you would kind of understand that from a business owner perspective, you pay for work that's done. I mean, that's just kind of how it is. But at the same time, there are contracts. And there are, you know, guys sign contracts to be paid a certain amount of money. Now, granted, those contracts have language in them based on performance and amount of games and other incentives. So, you know, I, part I see both sides of this. Part of me sides a little bit more with the players because I think that there have been some shortcomings on their side over the past couple of CBAs in terms of money and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, and – and really, these are circumstances outside of their control. This isn't a strike, a player strike causing them to miss games. I think if you if you talk to most of the players, they would kind of say, "Well, I mean, if it's safe enough for us to play, we'll play, right?" I mean, if if the government says that it's safe enough for us to play, whatever that looks like in terms of fans or families or whatever that's in in attendance. I think if if you pull most of the players, I think they said, if it's safe, we'll play. So it, it's hard to kind of dock them pay in a circumstance like that. But, uh, you know, I, I do understand it's kind of it's kind of a pay for play type of thing, especially for a lot of guys in the NFL. There's a lot of incentives and stuff built into contracts. So I, I understand. And, and it's a tough, tough line to toe. And. The, the fortunate thing for college football and for the NFL is they have now the benefit based on when they play, when this crisis hit, they have kind of the, the hindsight factor. They can kind of sit back and see how other leagues operate and kind of amend things. And then obviously more time goes by, you know, the lessening of the curve, a vaccine, whatever, whatever phrase you want to throw out there is all more likely as more time passes. So, you know, I, I think I would side a little bit more with the players. The, the salary cuts from the MLB standpoint to me was pretty significant from what was projected. Uh, I was a little surprised at some of those numbers that were thrown out. So, um, you know, I, I, if I if I had to choose a side, I see both sides. I guess I would side a little bit more with the players because, you know, it's not really there. They're not choosing to not play in this scenario, whereas a strike would maybe be that would be the case. Right. And we have Will Smith in the comment section, just prorate on games played. And that's also it's another way of looking at those projected salary cuts. I think when you look at it from a prorate, pro, a prorating standpoint, it's the players who make more that are suffering like the most. They're seeing the uh, they're, they're not seeing as big of a discrepancy from just like the base numbers, but they're, they're, they're seeing um, significantly more compared to guys who make less than about ten million dollars. This conversation has always been about about relativity to me because at the end of the day the, like owners and people who own any sports team and any of the big four in america they're they're multi-million they're no they're not multi-millionaires they're hundred millionaires they're almost billionaires in, in some cases and with baseball it's a little bit different because it, it's it's not the hard cap uh, situation that the nfl has to deal with and obviously there's teams like the yankees 
and you know, among other teams that have their own specific TV deals, and not everyone is is on that fair playing field. It's not fully you know divvied up with all thirty franchises or, or whatever. So it's a little bit different. But just in general, I, I I think it's just wrong to equate regular people with athletes in this sense because the proportion of their salaries compared to what their owners make is pretty much by and large different than what just your average Joe who makes about five, five figures compared to, to what his boss makes and just maybe the CEO of just a regular you know, standard business. And that has never in my mind just clicked for how people can compare them. But at the same time, there was also, I think um, the director of Homeland security signed a bill or passed something that proclaimed professional athletes being essential workers. And it's almost kind of like, like no <laughs> like <laughs> at one point i'm trying to defend the players by saying that that their pay is, is not the same um relative rate compared to their owners but at the same time they're not on the same level as you know literal essential workers in, in times like these people on the front lines work, working healthcare among other emergency services so with this i will always be on the player's side and i just i have i, I just i really do wonder if NFL fans had to deal with this and how just they have a long history of primarily being pro franchise. Whenever it comes to a situation like this, fans hate when players hold out for, for bigger contracts. They hate when they look out for their own security in terms of long, long-term financial security. And this is just, you know, we've said it a million, a million times, but it is an unprecedented situation. It's not just a work stoppage in terms of a, a lockout from, you know, the, from the player's side and from the ownership side, from just uh, an agreement on, on a collective bargaining agreement. This is something completely different entirely. It wasn't at the fault of either side, but the, it, it just seems like something new kind of has to come out of this instead of what usually just comes out of it. A lot of deliberation, a lot of negotiation, all the way up until the deadline. It just seems like it now it would have been a, a different time to see something different. There is this is a hot button issue. Um, you know, we're not trying to make this political because this is not a political program and. Different folks have different uh, viewpoints, obviously. But, you know, I'm seeing a lot of stuff about, you know, vaccines and this is, you know, let them play and or, you know, I, 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 I understand there are different viewpoints. We're not really going on the political side or the, you know, whatever side you want to call that. But um, we did put up a poll on our Twitter account um, in terms of who would you side with on, in a situation like this. So. Uh, feel f- free to vote on that. By the way, we're going to try and do more of that, you know, as we pose some of these questions in shows on our weekly show. We're going to try and post that on our Twitter account. We'll also po- maybe try and post that on, on the Facebook page as well. But um, so we'd like to hear your votes. And and like I said, this is a listener driven show. So if you if you follow us on Twitter, um, definitely cast a vote. Obviously, if you're watching us live, leave a comment. Um, try and make it civil if you can, please. Uh, but, you know, obviously there, there's a lot of stuff here. The thing that I find, I, I've, I've held the mindset, John, maybe not the same for college football, but definitely for the NFL. I think there is too much money to be lost. And, and granted, morally right or wrong, whatever you want to say about it, but I think there's too much money to be lost in not playing a full NFL season. It is the most watched sport in America um, these owners, as you mentioned, they are multi-billionaires and not having stadiums full of 50 plus thousand people every Sunday, 
Um, that's a big dent in the fact that this is a, a sport that is only played. Th th this is one thing that's not talked about in terms of the sporting event thing and, and the NFL. Everyone says, don't let, don't let them come. Well, these teams, these stadiums essentially meet maybe once a week, if not even really that they would, you would hold a game once every other week because you go away, you go, you have a home game. So really each city, you have eight events. So that's not 40 events for a baseball se a shortened baseball season. It's not, you know, 20, 30 games in, uh, that these NBA teams. So I don't think, I think a lot of people aren't really looking at that factor. At least it's not being talked about from what I've seen. Um, you know, so I, I think that, and I think money, money talks, dude. And <laughs> I think, I think there's a lot of money to be lost. I, the one entanglement I see, John, and I'm curious what you think about since we both live in, different states and sometimes they have diametrically opposite political views and how they run the states. But I, the fact that states are kind of independently doing different things and how they're opening things, how they're not opening things, that sort of thing. I wonder if that's a factor also, instead of a blanket, Hey, we're going to have an NFL season. I, I am curious as to, you know, certain states that have kind of were maybe earlier on the lockdowns are now going to be having full seasons or that's where teams are going to migrate to play a full season. That to me is going to be interesting, but I still think as a whole, if we sit here today, just before June, I, I think we're still going to have a full NFL season personally speaking. Well, that, that's what confused me so much when they released the schedule. They, they just had like a handful of contingencies in case the season gets delayed, which I guess is the whole point. Like if, if one state you know, reside where one team resides is not ready to, to do anything, then I guess they're just not going to start. I, I think they're, you know, setting up policies to begin mini camps, I think later in June, which we can also talk about too. But that, like, that's the difference in, between the NFL and, and the NCAA because, the, you know, the conferences, they're almost like their own entities. And there was talk about, you know, if one conference feels confident that they're ready to play and another conference doesn't, then they may like, you know, strong arm the NCAA into just playing the games that they want. The NFL in itself is just one you know entity and anything only goes based on, you know, majority owner approval. So, yeah, I think that that's why they're so they want to keep this stance of confidence that the season is going to happen because I don't think they want to, open that can of worms just yet but it is interesting to think about because there are some states that are much better off than others but obviously you know when, when it comes down to it, we just haven't heard anything about any type of sequestering plan or any type of other contingency besides every team has the same bye week and uh, every team has the same bye week as their week two opponent in case the season gets delayed and just like the first game of the year just gets moved back to the end of the regular season so we know next to nothing that's why it's been kind of difficult for us to answer some questions that we've gotten about right. this topic, but you know, with everything that's now going on with other sports, you're right though. There are some precedents that are being set. There are some, you know, ways to manage this that the NFL can now use. And now it's just up to them to kind of, you know, take action on that when the time comes. Brian Kramer with perhaps the comment of the night, drunk fans sitting near you projectile vomiting is a bit more sinister this year. True. Very true. <laughs> uh, I, I do think, I, you know, me saying that there's going to be a full NFL season does not necessarily mean it's going to look how I, I, my belief or my theory. I, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to look exactly the same in, in terms of an in-stadium experience. 
whether it's, you know, you got to have your gloves and mask or, you know, there's seat spacing or, um, you know, what have you. Again, this could be a state by state thing, depending on where these teams are, are housed. So um, I, I just I think that there's too much money for them to and, and there's too few games. And that's right. part of the I mean, in general, that's part of what the beauty of, of football is, is the fact that every game means so much in a season because there are so few of them as compared to other sports so i just think there's too much money and there's there's lower opportunities and i think you're going to start to hear that argument perhaps that there's a you know there's less amount of opportunities for exposure to this this illness and you know that that may be an impetus to get these you know get a full season in the nfl and and maybe maybe that's just a straight up cover for the the dollar bills but um (laughs) that's that's kind of my take yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Let's, let's go ahead and move on to some actual football news that we can say is, is more or less concrete. Um, we had some motors meetings last week. They talked about some stuff. Um, there's actually a proposal that's going to happen uh, tomorrow as of this recording. And it was by request of the Philadelphia Eagles. And they requested to add a kickoff alternative that would be used instead of the onsite kick. Now, for people who don't know, this idea actually originated from Greg Schiano when he was the head coach of Rutgers about eight or ten years ago. But he had it basically as an alternative to kickoffs altogether. So what it is, is instead of an onside kick, every team in um, before overtime, so just in the first four quarters, has the option to play a fourth and 15 play from their own 25-yard line instead of an onside kick. And they get to do this at most two times a game. So you have a fourth and 15. If you don't get it, then I believe it's also a non-time, you know, non, um, uh, it doesn't count in terms of scrimmage yards or anything like that. It's just like a dead ball play, just like a kickoff is. And honestly, like it, it sounded logical back when Shiano first came up with it. And it's, it, it remains a logical thing for me because I believe Jeff Hobson wrote on Bengals.com like the the pure statistics of the ineffectiveness of on, onside kicks now. Back when Shiano first came up with this about a decade ago, that's when we f- first started seeing you know policy changes regarding just kickoffs, and that's why it's now the 35 yard line. That's that's now why in the past couple of years you have you're not allowed to run before the kickoff. That's why we're seeing a lot more fair catches, and, and just in general, the kickoffs themselves are becoming less and less important in the game, and onside kicks. Uh, according to, to Jeff Hobson, only had like a 16% uh, success rate for like the, the past eight years. And then when the rule changes happened, I think one or two years ago, it's gone down to under 10%. What's interesting though, is that the last onside kick the Bengals had, they actually recovered down in Miami. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is that a couple of plays after that onside kick, they basically con- converted like a fourth and 20 to get in the end zone and to force that game in, against the Dolphins in overtime. So that was kind of like seeing both of those things in action, whether uh, the onside kick and also like just basically uh, a, a last ditch effort fourth and long, which essentially was because it was in the last seconds of the game. But I, I, I do think that this is a good idea. I do think that this should ultimately just push onside kicks out of it entirely. But what I want to know is that how far away are we just from seeing kickoffs in general, just be, be become extinct. Like if, if this is successful enough, where we're seeing more teams convert on these and have it be a better alternative to just onside kicks, which essentially at this point is just 
the, the likelihood of you succeeding on an onside kick is is literally it's le- it's less than one in ten now. It, it's become just a non it's it's a complete desperate play even more than it used to be. But also with, with how we're seeing kickoffs being phased out of the game or phased into a less action packed part of the game, how much of this and how much how successful it is determines how how, how much of this could determine the the basically the future of kickoffs as a whole. Well, I, th- I think it, I, I mean, I, I think it's a big factor in terms of what I, we, we've seen over the past couple of years, how kickoffs and kickoff return positions on rosters have been minimized, right? Because of the rules, cons- because of the current and right, right, rightfully so, but because of the concerns of injuries, concussions, namely on kickoff returns, they have basically rendered kickoff returns mostly moot. Uh, unless your special teams unit is largely inept, this it's it's rendered moot. And I think teams, unless you have just an outstanding kickoff return man, they've they haven't kept a necessary. There used to be a specialist, hello Brandon Tate, <laughs> on the team that was that had a roster spot as a return man. And I, I don't think – and by the way, this is a great setup for our look – at, look at you, John. Great setup for our next 9 for 9 segment too. But usually there is a designated return man spot or has been maybe in the 2010s and on. But in recent years, that has diminished because of the rules prohibiting uh, wedge blocks and all that kind of stuff on kickoff returns. Now, this rule propo- proposal, I'm not sure how likely it is in terms of it passing – but it's another step in saying, we, why, why, why kick the ball off? And I think it's because the NFL prides itself on being innovative and always trying to adapt to what the, what the viewers want, what the players are able to do in terms of it being a quote-unquote quarterback-driven league and so many stars at that position. Um, I think they're just trying to, so to speak, give the people what they want. I, you know, I think onside kicks – were once very exciting in terms of a viewership type of thing. But as you mentioned, John, the likelihood of a team actually coming up with this improbable play is so low, you just kind of go, oh, God, they're not going to get this, right? I mean, it's just kind of like, why, why are we even doing this? So, and it seems to be more likely that a team, especially with a potential star quarterback, maybe you've got some talent on offense, can maybe do this mini hail hail mary type of play and convert and continue to keep the game interesting um really this to me this is about viewership this is about viewership it's about team but it's about people wanting to watch something that's yes exciting yes improbable but not something where they go oh onside kick where's the next game i mean pretty much like at the end of this year excuse me there's going to be enough data to to determine, you know, from a base perspective, how successful this play is. And we're seeing people in the comments saying like, you know, yeah, from overzealous from YouTube teams that are good, like the saints will be able to run up a score because they routinely get 20 yards on the pass. Well, that's kind of how the NFL is trending anyways. Right. Exactly. Like, (laughs) first of all, if your offense if you don't believe that your offense can get 15 yards in the play, it's probably not going to be competitive on a game game basis anyways. But this is really about a couple of things for me. One, overall roster size. And this is why I, I'm, I'm not in, entirely sure this is going to pass tomorrow because 
if this works, then it's only going to minimize special teams value and and even more than it already is. And like you were talking about, you know, there are positions that are, are designated for the purpose of special teams. This is kind of why I think Darren Simmons talked to Jeff Hobson about, you know, still wanting to have the importance of special teams be what it still remains to be. And the less important special teams gets, the less you need some of those guys on your roster. And then we, we just saw like a, a, a two person increase in roster size on, you know, on a week, on a week to week basis, because you can activate two extra players from your practice squad. But if they basically find in a, in a handful of years that you don't need as many players on your roster because they're just special teamers and the value of them is just diminished. It becomes a whole nother argument in itself. But we saw a couple years ago how teams started going for two more. I think the, like the Pittsburgh Steelers were the first team to consistently go for two. And the success rate basically made extra points negligible because that's when they moved extra points back to 15, you know, back to the 15 yard line and their uh, success rate dropped about 10%. So yeah, the, the, the less that kickers are involved now, like the less overall special teams becomes. And I think punting will always be a part of the game because not every team is going to be comfortable going for it on fourth and more than 10. So I think special teams from a, from a punting standpoint are always going to be safe, but it becomes a factor of, okay, like you said, would, would you rather have you know teams consistently go for these fourth and longs instead of kickoffs and basically have it like a make it take a situation or do you keep the kickoffs, which are largely just fair catches and whenever there is a play, the likelihood of an injury on those on those types of plays are is so much more than just a regular play from scrimmage. So I, I'm personally for this type of shift, even though I do see the potential issues that coaches and players and just teams in general might have with it from just a roster construction standpoint. But it, I think it also leads to just a more exciting game and a more a, a game that is is better decided based on who the better team is because special teams is just, it's just no, a whole other variable that can kind of get the way of, you know, how good a, a team is on, on, on that for, for the basis of that week. It's kind of weird to explain, I guess, when, I, when I'm no, I talking about it now, but I, I do like, like this shift. And I think it, it just makes sense primarily because of how just ineffective the onside kick is and just how unimportant kickoffs are or have become in the past 10 years. It's going to be very interesting to see how, teams utilize their special teams roster spots. Um, and does this mean now that kickers are more or less valued, right? I mean, because with the extra points being moved back in recent years, with a lack of onside kick, which is a place kicker skill, being potentially kind of removed, it, you know, what, how do you, how do you cons- construct a roster um, the, the return men facet. How do you how do you construct a roster? In, and I've talked about in our nine for nines about kind of getting a guy that kills two birds with one stone in terms of versatility. You know, you have a diminishment of running back value in the league a little bit, even to the wide to to the extent of wide receivers. You know, wide receivers were once kind of including AJ Green, top five type of guys. That's not really I mean, the 20, what was it? The 2017 draft with John Ross, there's a lot of guys in the top 10 that were selected, but you know, I, my, my point is, do you maybe load up more on running back or wide receiver and you get a guy that is technically a running back, but gives you kind of that positional versatility as a 
as a return man. So you can kind of double dip and, and save roster spots, maximize roster spots. Um, it, I don't know. I, I guess I just, uh, and, and I, to be truth be told, I'm a little bit old school and I'm a little bit of a football purist. So hearing the, you know, potential elimination of certain things that have been long time NFL standards is a little bit like, Hmm. Okay. But I do understand that the league is a league of adaptation and they want to give the viewers what they want. I, you know, I just, it is what the viewers want Madden football, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is what the viewers want uh, continuous going on, going forward on fourth. Hey, that's, that's, I kind of say, well, where's the line a little bit uh, in terms of rule changes, et cetera. But uh, you know, I, I do understand the, the rationale behind some of this stuff. Right. And I think, <clears throat> if I remember correctly, Shiana's originally, original proposal was that fourth and long play or the other team just gets the ball, like, yeah. on, like they're 30 or 25, which honestly, I, again, it, 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 yeah, it, it wouldn't change the game that differently in terms of just an average um, starting, starting field position perspective, but also because, like, there's just not as many kickoff returns. And I know it's nostalgic for us to like that because it's a very exciting play, but that's just where we saw a lot of injuries happen, a lot of life-threatening injuries. Eric Legrand, who I think used to play for Shiano, he was paralyzed from a kickoff play. And I think there was a play, play for the Seahawks, played against the Cowboys thing in the preseason, and he also had a life-threatening injury on, on a kickoff. That's, that's by and large why we're starting to see the shift. But also, you know, it's a re- there's a reason why Patrick Mahomes is like scoffing at a fourth and fifteen because more times than not, the Chiefs are going to convert that. They're they're just that explosive. And if NFL defenses or NFL teams in general are worried that teams are going to exploit this, it should just be a game of catch up. If you can't stop it, just try to get some on your own. Like that's just the way that this trend- defenses are, are are not getting stronger. Defenses are not getting more effective to stop the way the offenses and the passing game itself. It has been booming for the past 15 years. You either have to get with the times or you're going to be left in the dust. Well, that's the new school versus old school approach, your last sentence there. and uh, But yeah, you're right. And I mean, to be honest with you, kickoffs, even even standard kickoffs have kind of become pee break time. I mean, it's kind right. of... You know, it's it's just kind of like, oh, okay, well, you know, it's just a kickoff. They're not – chances are they're not returning it. So, um, you know, I, I – so I, I understand a bit of the rationale to kind of mix things up. And, and you know, kudos to the NFL to at least be open-minded to even kind of consider this. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, they could have been, you know, very just no way. This is ridiculous. This is, you know, they, they could have been very traditionalistic, and they weren't. So – uh, you know, kudos to them for for at least keeping an open mind. Whether it passes or not, I don't know. Maybe we're a year or so away. Maybe it's maybe it's one of those pass interference uh, challenge type of situations where it's something that they try and it's kind of like, yeah, this isn't working, and it's a it's a one year experiment, and you move on. I don't know, but at least there's an open mindedness there. Right. Uh, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But this is the Orange Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's Anthony Gazenza. I'm John Sheeran. We're coming at you on a regular scheduled programming this week. Um, and we're going to move on to our final segment of the week, the fourth edition, fourth part, if you will, of our nine for nine series, where we go nine weeks covering 
what was supposed to be the 90-man Bengals roster, but I think it's still only 84 at the moment. Kind of ruined my whole title segment that I was originally going for. But regardless, they essentially have 90 players. This week, we're going to go take a look at the wide receivers. And it's a position that, for the better part of my life, or at least my life as a, someone who follows the Bengals, it's always been a position of strength. And just in general, when you look around the NFL, every team has at least three receivers that they can count on that they feel comfortable starting. And if if that's not the case for your team, then you're just in trouble or you just are terrible at evaluating talent. This year was no exception. They, there was like 20 or 25 receivers drafted in this draft in what was considered one of the best classes of wide receivers in recent memory. And for the Bengals, they're, they're, not, they're not the exception here. Like they have at the bare minimum six guys on this on their roster right now that any team would love to have on their roster. Now, maybe the six guys are a little questionable, but there's five guys I think that you feel comfortable at least rotating into the game for like 10 to 15 snaps. And I think that's where I want to start this discussion because we can talk about, you know, who's going to make the team and whatnot based on the back half of that roster. But how this offense is proposed, supposedly going to look, it's going to feature still three receivers, but Anthony, is this a year where we start to see a more healthy and robust rotation of those fourth and fifth receivers, whoever they may be, whether it's Alex Erickson, Auden Tate, freshly drafted T. Higgins? Do we see more of a rotation to maybe give A.J. Green a little bit more refreshers, to maybe make John Ross more of a rotational guy? Do we see just more movement of the receivers to make the most out of the, the depth that they have at this position? I think so because it's out of necessity because of those injuries. And I think even though, you know, A.J. Green can be a racehorse for you, you know, John Ross can be a guy that can, you know, uh, do some things when healthy. The recent, the recent history is telling you that they can't, they can't be healthy. They can't stay healthy. And I, I, you know, that's the unfortunate truth. That doesn't mean they can't be effective this year. That doesn't mean they can't even stay healthy this year, but I think the big key of them staying healthy this year is a rotation. And I think that's why, you know, a lot of people going leading up to the draft, I, I personally believed going into the draft that they were going to get a wide receiver by round three. And, and that was for sure going to happen. A lot of people were saying no quarterback and then offensive line, offensive line, linebacker, that sort of thing. Wide receivers, not a need. I, I thought it was a big need. I really did. I thought it was a sneaky need. You got, you had at one point AJ Green an impending free agent, but now he's on a one-year deal. You have John Ross essentially on the last year of his deal. Both of those guys experience injuries. You got questions with Alex Erickson and his effectiveness going forward. Auden Tate has shown you a lot, but there's been some injury issues there and a little bit of inconsistencies in terms of catch rate, etc. But yes, I know the incredible catches. If you look at some of the other statistics, you'll know what I mean. But there, there was a need for another guy in the stable and a, a highly talented guy like a T Higgins to be placed into the stable. And yes, I think this is it to answer your question. Yes. I think this is a year that you need to rotate guys in not only to keep AJ green, John Ross fresh and healthy, but also to mix up looks. And, and that is what Joe Burrow excelled at last year with LSU. They would split out four, they would split out five, and he would be able to look off 
defensive backs off a primary target and hit a secondary target. I can't even tell you how many times he did that. So that's the kind of offense the Bengals are wanting to run, obviously, based on the fact that they've put out the news that they've been implementing plays that Burrow likes from LSU. So I think, yes, this is a year that the Bengals definitely need to have a rotation. Maybe you don't see the robust stats from A.J. Green that you'd like, but that's because other guys are stepping up, hopefully, and Joe Burrow spreading the ball around. As far as the starters go, because I'm I'm with you, I think you're going to see the guys who listed three to through five on the depth chart not get equal snaps, but get essentially equal snaps or equal opportunities throughout the game where you have still Green and Boyd as your top two, provided that Green stays healthy and Boyd continues to stay healthy because that's been an underage trade of his career up to this point. Um, but that third starter is the biggest question to me. I think right now, if I had to guess, it, it probably goes to T. Higgins. I don't, I'm not enti- – like – uh, the Higgins pick made a lot of sense from a long-term perspective. They had AJ Green and John Ross only under contract for 2020. Both those guys have suffered injury issues for the past two years. That makes a lot of sense from a short-term perspective, or from a long-term perspective. From a short-term perspective, I, I don't know if you, if you can make the argument that he fits demonstrably better with Joe Burrow than John Ross does, because I think at that point, when you have a quarterback who's just that much more accurate and can place the ball that much better than his his um, predecessor then I'm not sure that type of wide receiver fit exactly makes the most sense or is in the same conversation as it was uh, in years past. But I think with, with the Higgins pick, you basically make him like a pseudo starter and have Ross come in in more optimal situations in the game that best fits him. And then you basically have him as the speedster. You have Tate as your possession guy, as your, as your jump ball guy or whatever. And then, yeah, and then you have Higgins handle more of like the nuanced stuff that Ross has yet to grasp. If you're more comfortable with Higgins going through camp and going through the preseason and whatnot, but if you had to guess by the end of the season who gets more snaps over T. Higgins and John Ross, provided that both stay healthy, if you had to guess between one of those guys, who do you think takes the most snaps by the end of the year? Higgins, Higgins for sure, I, and I think so because of a lot of reasons, namely trust by the coaching staff and namely a which regime picked who. And I, I think, I, I think that kind of says a lot. And I think that the fact that the Bengals have a potential hall of fame wide receiver in AJ green that, yeah, they wanted to bring back for sure. And they had a top 10 wide receiver pick on the roster and they still went and basically used what equates to, close to a first round pick at wide receiver. I think that that speaks volumes. And I think that, that T Higgins is, is going to be the future of this team. And fortunately for the Bengals, I was discussing this with, with a couple of people, including my brother and some others recently, fortunately for the Bengals, they usually have done when in terms of drafting a running back or a wide receiver in the second round, they usually have done very, very well. Um, you know, mixing Bernard, Carl Pickens, Darnay Scott. I mean, they've, they've grabbed Chad. Chad. I mean, yeah, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Um, so they've done very well in terms of grabbing the guy. Now, I don't want to set too lofty of expectations for Higgins, but I see him in that mold as of being a very productive player for this team. And I just, I think he brings 
some things that complements Joe Burrow's game that maybe John Ross does not. So right now, I think Higgins probably, and, and maybe it doesn't occur till later in the season, but I think Higgins is the guy who gets the more snaps personally. Before I, I kick it back over to you, John, the one thing also that makes me think that, aside from regime and you know all that kind of scheme fit, that sort of thing, is you know this team has, has or this coaching staff rather has shown under the under the Zach Taylor era has shown a propensity to to promote competition and promote best guy plays. And I think that as the year goes on, you're probably going to see for the reasons I mentioned before that Higgins may be a better fit for what they're trying to do. And that's why he gets the more snaps as the year goes on. And I definitely think that was why for the most part he was drafted Uh real quick overzealous click off the chat and then come back in. You're not, you're not talking into a vacuum here. Um, <laughs> sorry, we, got, we got, we got some requests in the comment section. But, yeah. Um, Higgins, it does make a lot of sense for that. And I, I do think that ultimately trust will be the, the, the resulting factor in that. And that Ross just has to earn a lot of that trust. And I still think he'll get opportunities to do so. But I, I do like the idea of having that basically a three-man rotation of Higgins, Ross, and Tate all coming in into the game, into your 11 personnel sets, in, you know, in different alignments on the formation. Because also, if you're going to run a lot of LSU plays, you know, Joe Burrow had Clyde Edwards-Lair lined about wide a lot, so that basically takes away one boundary spot. And maybe you have either Tate or Higgins take the other. You can then use Green more in the slot, where they were starting to use him more in 2018. And honestly, in, in, the, in the last three seasons that he was healthy, he was one of the more productive slot receivers in the NFL. He just wasn't used there that much because he's, he's AJ Green. You want to use him as your ex. But it just opens up a lot of different possibilities. So we, we have a good, decent idea about the top five, you know, Green, Boyd, Ross slash Higgins, Tate. And yeah, that, that's five, right? But yeah, that's five. I think probably six or seven make the team at the end of the day. And if it's down to six, it probably comes down to either Stanley Morgan or Alex Erickson. I mean, we can have a little special teams conversation in itself. Alex Erickson's basically holding on to the skin of his teeth for his value as a pump returner. Because at this point, I'm not sure they entirely trust Darius Phillips to do that. They attempted to, to give him opportunities the, the past couple of years. And I think that's where a lot of his fumbles came from. And then he found his calling as a kickoff returner. And he's basically made you know Erickson expendable in that regard. But if Phillips you know makes that jump as at least a serviceable pump returner, then you're looking at you know Stanley Morgan, who is one of your better special teamers for what kickoffs still remain to be. And then Alex Erickson is basically gives you the same thing as a receiver for him. So, and, and there's plenty of other receivers that we can, we can talk about on this roster. I know Scotty Washington gets a lot of love. You mentioned Scotty Washington as an under, uh, undrafted free agent to watch for. Damian Willis is still here. They signed Mike Thomas who worked with Zach Taylor in Los Angeles. It, it's going to be a tough battle to make, to make this team a, a receiver. It usually always is. We started to see some changes last year because Damian Willis not only made the team, but started for them last year because AJ Green was hurt. Josh Malone ended up getting cut. So there's going to be a lot of movement at the bottom of this depth chart, but at the end of the day, how many do you think they keep and who's really that last guy that you see them holding on to? Oh boy. Uh, every year it seems that this position, an undrafted guy, a low draft pick, somebody makes a big splash to make the team. 
you mentioned Damian Willis. Auden Tate did that a couple of years ago. Alex Erickson was a guy who did it a few years ago. I, I think some of these guys' days are numbered. I, I think Damian Willis, I think, unfortunately, my opinion is the coaching staff probably saw enough of what they needed to see from him in the regular season against actual NFL starters to say, yeah, that's he's not going to be a productive NFL player, at least on a consistent basis. I, I don't mean to slight the young man, but I mean it's just kind of he he got benched later on, even with AJ Green still out of the out of the picture. So I I just I don't know. Now, granted, year two he could take a leap, but I just I don't know. Uh, Erickson, that's the guy to me. When you add a Higgins and you've got these other guys, that's a guy to me. You mentioned Phillips maybe having some issues on punt returns. Punt returns, yeah, maybe. But I, I think if you keep both Brandon Wilson and, and Darius Phillips, that's what kind of makes an Alex Erickson expendable. Um, and unfortunately, I just I think that that his role just may have been diminished, and that's just kind of the reality of, of what's going on with Alex Erickson. So um, I. I Stanley Stanley Morgan did not really show a lot on offense last year, but he was outstanding on special teams in terms of downing punts deep in opponents' territories. I, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times he did that. And so that's that's where Darren Simmons, not only special teams coordinator but assistant head coach, may pull rank and say, you know what, if if you're going to keep six, you're keeping this guy because he does he does this, especially with rule changes, et cetera. If you're going to diminish these areas, if you're making me get rid of an Alex Erickson, you got to let me keep this guy. Um, so that's right now. That's where I, I see things. But if this team is more about, you know, offense, 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 scoring points, making sure you're efficient in the red zone. And Scotty Washington's a guy who does some things in the preseason that really excite you. That could be a dark horse guy that makes the back end of the roster, especially if they end up showing that they continue to like Auden Tate, his size, his red zone ability, et cetera. Uh, if they think they got a clone of him in a Scotty Washington, that, you know, they could they could bring him on board for the final roster spot. It does help that Morgan had as great of a year in social teams as he, as he did last year. But I also think that, you know, he, he was a receiver that, probably should have been drafted in the 2019 draft class. And he was really talented at Nebraska. Um, I think they still would like to see him show some of that and maybe more opportune opportunities, maybe when he doesn't have Brian Finley throwing the ball to him whenever he's active on offense. But yeah, if they keep six, I think Morgan right now has the advantage over Damian Willis, because if you're going to have on Tate on the bottom of the roster, he, he did more on special teams last year, but you would trust Morgan to do more of those responsibilities. If they keep seven, it could be Willis. It could be Washington. It could even be like Demarcus Lodge, who was fairly successful in Ole Miss in, in college, who's I think on a reserve contract at the moment. But I think Morgan would still get activated there. Um, Brandon Vega in the comment section. Erickson will go to the Pats and shine. Maybe the Bucks. I don't think any receiver is going to shine on the on the Patriots this year. Not with Jared Sims as your quarterback. But it, I I I would be interested to see if maybe this is the year that Alex Erickson is finally traded because like last year there were rumors in May that teams were calling for like a sixth or seventh and the Bengals were stingy enough to hold on for him. I don't know if, if they just tanked whatever trade value that he, that he had, if you ever have the chance to trade Alex Erickson, who's to his credit has made a, a decent career for being an undrafted guy that he's a fifth year player. And if you, if you can trade him for a sixth or a seventh rounder, 
I don't know why you wouldn't take that, especially now that you have at least six guys aside from him that you're comfortable making the roster. I had big hopes for Erickson last year because there was that offseason story that Zach Taylor and company viewed him as kind of their uh, version of uh, Cooper Cup. And they thought that he he could move around a little bit in terms of slot outside and do, you know, help you out on special teams and do a lot of things. And, and you know, there was trade discussions and supposedly the Bengals had shot those down with Erickson. And he just kind of had a little bit of a pedestrian year, at least. I mean, granted, like you said, there was the quarterback situation. There were other guys out of the lineup and all kinds of stuff. And I really like Alex Erickson in terms of, uh, at least from a coaching perspective, does whatever he asks, goes in there and just makes the tough catches, makes the tough plays. But at the same time, I do think you can, you can find those guys. You can find them. And – when you draft a receiver at the top of the second round and you've got AJ Green coming back, that's what a lot of people aren't, you know, I'm seeing a lot of positive comments about Erickson and rightfully so, but a lot of the time that Erickson has shown in the offense, AJ Green's been hurt. He has mm-hmm. been out there. So there's not, there, there has been a roster spot available for Alex Erickson. Whereas if you, we all hope AJ Green's going to be healthy this year and let's presume he is all of a sudden that roster spot and those increased snaps are not there. Right. Like as long as Boyd green and Higgins all stay healthy and play consistently, they're going to be fine regardless of the other guys that they keep. But um, Anthony, let's go ahead and drop the mic. What, what do you got for us? I, uh, for those who maybe uh, if they pay so close attention to the background behind me, um, I am in a little bit of a different venue than usual. And uh doing a little bit of a, I guess, a quote-unquote vacation a, a little bit with my with my family. But in this area, John, I met a, I met a gentleman named Jason. Uh, and how I met him, uh, I was in uh, – I was out and about, and this guy comes up to me and says, hey, do you, do you podcast for the Bengals? By the way, I'm in Arizona. I don't know if I mentioned that or not. Um, do you podcast? Do you do stuff for the Bengals? And I'm like, uh yeah and he's like oh man i watch your stuff and he, he was like super complimentary and I, I listened to your show i basically listened to your show and and the Bengals booth podcast with dan horde and um so his name's his name's jason i won't just i don't know if he's into being private or not i won't i won't release his last name but uh jason was a very nice guy that i met literally today and was complimentary about the program in Arizona, a Bengals fan. He was a guy that was from Cincinnati, moved to Arizona, really nice guy, going to try and maybe uh, do a little uh, somewhat get-together with him if I've got some extra time while I'm out here. But very nice guy, very complimentary about the show, and I was just blown away that he stopped me and uh, recognized me and uh, was complimentary about what what you and I do on this show, Don, and I just – you know, uh, sometimes you you do a show and you kind of go, you know, was that was that what the people wanted? I don't I don't know. Um, and just to just be out and about and just be stopped by somebody and, and a Bengals fan and a guy who really likes the show, I just thought that was really cool. And I'm not blowing smoke and making this story up. I swear this happened literally a few hours ago. And uh, so, um, Jason, I, I appreciate it, and uh, it was good meeting you. Arizona has a special place in my heart. I spent like the first six winters of my life 
chilling in Paradise Valley, which is near yeah, it's near Phoenix. My my grandparents had just like a like a condo that they would go for about eight weeks in the year, and I spent a lot of my childhood there. So I haven't been back there since, but I would like to go back there again because I I love the dry heat and it gets me away from the the humidity of Cincinnati. So it's hot. <laughs> it's, it's a good it's a good type of hot. It's a good yeah. especially for 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 what I for what I need because I sweat profusely. Oh, my back, my own. Yeah, so like I, I I need that dry heat, even though it does get to like one nineteen. So yeah, <laughs> but I think that's gonna do it for us on this week's episode of the Orange Black Inside of Bengals podcast. Uh, thanks, Anthony, for hopping on, even on your your little, little vacation of yours. Uh, oh, download yeah. the show wherever you can get your podcast: Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, whatever. Leave some five star reviews. We could you know use a couple more of those, but. Thanks for tuning in, either live or after the fact, and we will see you again soon. Thanks, John.